This podcast series is brought to you from the University of Winchester. We invite you to listen in as we talk with both academics and practitioners about their approaches to peace building and conflict transformation, discussing some of the most complex and pressing challenges we face in the world today. With me, Shanice Tan, who is the CEO of AFSFA. Uh, very welcome. We are very happy to have you here. So, can you first tell us a little bit about how you became involved in peace building? Yeah, sure. First thing, thank you very much for uh, inviting me. How I got involved in peace building? Um, well, I don't, I think originally I wasn't actually planning to be a peace builder per se. Um, I was very much thinking about how we can, um, well, how we, in particular when it comes a community perspective and a youth perspective, we could address some, the social intolerance and xenophobia, which was arising in Europe um, from well, even before 2015, but was, was very much increasing um, in, my, in my day job. Um, so that's how I, I am where I am now. First of all, I originally started off as um, well, a youth-led volunteers project in 2011, in 2012. Um, but within a year of starting and, and developing what was fundamentally an regional focus on the Middle East beyond international relations and conflict. Um, so we were trying very much to promote subjects like society, culture, history, um, topics you would not normally learn about the Middle East um, unless you were doing a, a degree in the subject. Um, so that, that's how we started. But we found very quickly we were offered um, a grant from the British um, Council um, to deliver um, a youth initiative in universities and youth centres, particularly like, drawing awareness on the Middle East beyond um, the areas I already mentioned, but also focusing on citizenship and civic responsibility. And on top of that, incorporating employability skills, because at that particular time, my, my day job was in welfare to work, um, particularly working with young people in Brixton. Um, so suddenly we had this piece of funding and we had to make a decision whether we were going to reject it or become a formal organisation. And inevitably, a lot of people who were involved as volunteers suddenly said they, they liked to volunteer, but they didn't want to get involved in, in that respect. Um, so talking to a few of your volunteers who were willing to continue on the, the actual project, but not get involved from the um, governance, governance perspective. Um, I made a decision that we'd go forward and I'd take charge of the organisation that way. And we'd also then look at other ways we could develop. And then from there, it's kind of snowballed um, because we, you know, we noticed really early on, um, our e-journal was very much about encouraging young people who were studying about the Middle East, my own back, my own subject, um, when I did my EBA, and doing these different articles or maybe photography pieces. But a lot of them always came back with the same old thing, um, topics on international relations and politics and conflict. Um, and again, as part of my other day job, I was already doing youth exchanges um, in different countries at that point. So we decided to we'll request funding to do some youth exchanges in the Middle East to really provide an opportunity for young people to um, well, go there and actually learn about the culture and the history firsthand rather than just and reading about it in their textbooks. Um, and by 2015, I was doing quite a lot of strategic work um, in my in a new well, consultancy role 
I was doing that point. And I've got some funding for strategic work as well. So looking at social action and entrepreneurship. And um, it was at that stage we started looking at developing this idea of a, a, a learning model which could address social intolerance. And I've just kind of like given you nearly nine years of our history there very quickly. Hopefully um, it wasn't too compact. No, thank you. That was really interesting. Uh, and, and where have you taken it from there then? I, I did see on your homepage that you have developed some social objectives. Quite like to hear a bit more about them and how they yeah. came about. Um, so we had from the very beginning, um, we had some, some basic sort of social objectives. But they mainly focused on things like e-journal, the e-journal promoting the Middle East culture, and very, very specific to you know, the Middle Eastern region. But by um, well, 2017, we were, we were also delivering in other countries like the Balkans and the Caucasus. Um, and that was mainly connected to the ongoing conflict in, in the region and a lot of our partners not being able to host activities there. Um, so with, with the development both of widening our, our focus um, and also my own wider, widening experience in my day jobs by that point, um, we decided that it was time we, we, especially, we did some proper um, strategic goals, which we could include young people in deciding what they should be. Um, so at the moment, we have six strategic goals, including youth development, um, capacity building peer NGOs. So a lot of things I do on the side is, we are, for ASVA, is um, providing um, consultancy support to NGOs such as helping them bid wide, design their own projects and deliver those projects. Um, so that became quite a key objective. Um, another key objective was to address social intolerance through our projects, um, promote active citizenship and develop future community leaders, again, through our um, reconciliation for development programs. And finally, a more recent one, um, which recently um, came added to the strategic goals was gender equity, um, because that's another area we're now starting to deliver. Okay, can you tell us a bit more about how you develop those goals? So, um, first we did it in two ways. We, we started a conversation with uh, our volunteers um, who were you know, working with us, who would be like, directly involved in having to deliver some of the activities, as well as our freelancers. Um, because there's one thing developing strategic goals which are fantastic and you know uh, very ambitious but there's another thing to actually delivering on them um so we, we did start off speaking to the people we were working with and who were involved in our, our delivery currently and then from there um we started we we shared the um one about i think it was around about 15 potential strategic objectives with our young people and we needed to get their insight in what they felt was relevant to them, um, particularly as ultimately we would be working with them primarily as well as a few minority projects such as gender equity. Um, and then from there, after you know, we invited them to take a vote. And um, so again, promoting citizenship and everything, um, but as well as like suggest suggesting that they if they have any other um, thoughts or other strategic goals, I think we should be considering. Um, to bring it to our attention at that stage. Um, once the votes were in, we, um, we had these six ones which were more dominant than the West. And um, we have a two currently at the moment who are investigating for the future of 
with a current situation, we, we, we won't be able to take them forward for at least another couple of years. Um, but we've very much looked at including the people we work with in the decision making. I like that very much, that participatory part, process you've used there. Uh, can you tell us a bit about the programs that you run as well and what countries you are involved in? Yes, sure. Um, well, like any organization now, what projects we want to deliver and what projects we actually deliver ultimately depends on what finance we can we can gain, um, which is a shame, but we um, we started off particularly in the, since 2017, we've designed a number of learning models, as we call them. The one is um, resolve reconciliation for development. And the second one is creative enterprise. And um, the first one, of course, is uh, using reconciliation methods, as well as employability and other wider skills for young people. The second one focuses on developing social entrepreneurship, particularly amongst young people and women. Um, so we have de designed these two models. Um, any type of project we decided we want to deliver or design uh, or request for funding, we use these two models as like center of that. And so by doing that way, we're not 100% bending towards just what the funding is available. We try to utilize you know, our key objectives in that respect. Um, so in 2018, we received our first piece of funding for a reconciliation for development project. Uh, and that was from Erasmus Plus. And between 2018 and well, up until March 2020, um, we've been able to deliver um, if I get if I get it right, we will deliver, we will deliver, we were able to deliver six Erasmus Plus resolve projects which specifically focused on doing youth exchanges. Um, and on top of that, we've been in the process of delivering two um, Erasmus Plus dialogue projects. Um, how they're different? Well, it depends on well where you're coming from. Um, in relation to youth exchanges, you normally do them in a particular country, um, maybe four or five days, involving a particular number of different country groups. So, for example, in 2019, we did 12 youth exchanges um, in, I believe it was 13 different countries. And right, involving 400 young people and from all those different countries. Countries included um, Bosnia-Herzegovina, um, Georgia, Azerbaijan, Turkey, Israel, Cyprus, um, beginning to lose count now, Sweden, the UK of course, and Morocco. And um, we, are, we have now got funding for an extra six projects including youth exchanges and more dialogue projects which in the future is going to be one of the areas we're going to focus on more. Um, on top of that, we also got funding from Erasmus Plus, which is called Strategic Partnerships. And um, Strategic Partnerships are, shall we say, a great opportunity if you want to design a learning model or if you want to develop, say, teachers and youth workers' skill sets in a particular area or, or wider policy guidelines for um, government bodies. Um, it's very much focused on what we call intellectual outputs um, and is a really good building upon the work you're already doing to making something much more fermented and well, taking it forward beyond just the classroom. Um, alongside Erasmus Plus, um, we also have funding for what is called Youth in Solidarity Corps, which is the um, replacement 
uh, funding stream for anyone doing a European voluntary service program. So um, for this year, we've got um, three volunteers in France and two in Bosnia-Herzegovina, which have continued volunteering even with the coronavirus, although most of them have gone digital um, in their daily tasks. And uh, from 2021, we'll be offering volunteering placements in Israel and Palestine, and uh, again in Bosnia-Herzegovina and Turkey. Um, alongside that, um, we have just recently completed a, a social enterprise program in, in Egypt, again, promoting the concept of social enterprise and entrepreneurship as an alternative to traditional business um, methods, particularly in relation to um, women. So there's just kind of like a very brief overview of our projects between 2018 and 2020. Um, but let me know if you would like any more details or anything we've done in the past or something. What kind of activities is it that, that the young people take part in when they go on these exchange, to, uh, exchange trips? So what, is, what would be like a typical day for them? Typical day will depend on um, which country they're going to. Um, so for instance, in the UK, um, we start off a half day in the, in the, in the classroom do workshops. So first thing, introducing the idea of what is well, the reconciliation for development and then providing basic information on what is conflict and what is peace building. And we generally also have a peace builder come in and do a talk about their own career and how they, they reached, um, how they ended up in this sector. So it's more mainly like an employer, employee talk. So how do you develop your career as a peace builder? From there, we also hold um, sport for peace activities. And um, so they actually have to go and get their trainers on, um, often much against their will. They're like, surprise, what? Sport for peace? Um, we actually have to do some activities, oh my god. Um, so yeah, they, they get their, their trainers on and um, our um, sports coach, Jason, he um, takes them through a number of different sports drills, which um, on paper, they look like they're doing a sport activity. But after every little activity, he brings them all back together and explains why we're doing this, what does this mean? And it's not just sport for peace, um, as in you've participated, you've learned, you've learned something about conflict, for instance. We also try to um, incorporate uh, an international development day where they learn how to do a sports drill themselves. So for example, um, increasing uh, awareness on AIDS and HIV, which is often a big conflict issue in some communities, um, as well as doing another drill on um, or dis well, disability awareness and um, um, equality. Again, subjects which um, we wouldn't necessarily automatically think they're connected to peace building or reconciliation, but they can be big conflict issues in the, com in the community. That's the UK, but in, for example, Georgia, um, the partner there just focuses a lot on simulation games. So they um, introduce a, a conflict situation to young people, often connected to um, two communities and eggs as simple as that and how you know should you egg it, eat, eat your egg taking the top bit off or taking the bottom bit off i think it originally comes from gulliver's travels and from there you know how to deal with that type of conflict um and young people are encouraged to both enact the wall um as a member of a community but also then afterwards to assess how things could be different if they like, take a step back or build dialogue instead of arguing 
there was also a theatre technique. Again, having to um, using like theatre and role plays to play out a conflict. And again, once doing the actual um, acting, um, participants can put their hand up and stop the the role play and say, "I would like to, you know, take that person's place and see how I can make the situation different." Um, so it's all very different. You know, we each country tends to have different methods, and we try to incorporate that um, into our overall project. Um, but a big underlying learning activity is social action. So as well as um, learning about conflict and peace building and doing um, learning the the actual activity, so they could copy it in their own, own communities, they also learn about social action and how the skills they might need to think about what sort of activity you might want to do in their own community um, to well, address social intolerance or to bring communities together um, and such. That sounds really amazing and a lot of interesting activities there. So what do you think are the main obstacles to involving young people in peace building these days? Um, I think a couple of different things. First thing, the word of peace building is often uh, shows that a barrier, also it's something that actually interests them. So a lot of young people don't think it's something they can, they can actively get involved in. Um, they don't necessarily recognize that peace building can happen anywhere where there's any type of conflict. It doesn't necessarily have to be done by a UN or NGO, or NGO bodies or governments. Um, so that there is that type of barrier. Um, but plus, um, again, the understanding that everyone plays a role. So like part of the things, part of the key things in our project is showing young people how they can make a difference and addressing just local conflict can make a massive difference in other situations. Um, and another barrier comes down to the fact that they're not always realizing that peace building does need young people to be active in it. Um, also the opportunities. So there might not be as many opportunities for young people to be active involved. And in cases where there are opportunities, often young people who might need them most, might not be aware of it again, because of, well, just communication or, you know, um, I take, for example, I, I know many young people, both, but particularly from where I come from in the Northeast, um, you know, most of them are not really aware that like, there's projects like Erasmus Plus. And if they're not aware of that, then they're at least less likely to know about anything the UN is doing when it comes to young people. Um, so I think awareness is a big issue as well. Okay, where do you see yourself uh, and your organization in five years' time? <laughs> oh, that's a, a hard one at the moment. If you'd asked me before coronavirus, I'd be saying continuing doing this, but widening and doing more strategic work. And um, well, carry on, continue to offer opportunities to young people. At the moment, it's a bit of the unknown because not only is it difficult to deliver our projects, which from a project manager, management perspective, it's hell. You know, if you're doing most of your projects abroad, um, getting all those young people from different countries into a country um, at the moment is, is really problematic. But plus, we also have the, and I dread to say the, the word, if, you know, with Brexit and whether we're going to have a trade deal or not, um, like ASBAR has luckily been able to obtain funding outside of the EU funding streams. Um, but a lot of our like, youth exchanges, dialogue projects are EU funded. 
uh, and we very much hope that the UK will offer something very similar. Um, but right now we just don't know. Um, so we will still be, I, well, I'm certain we'll still be alive but and doing what we're trying to do, but it might be on a smaller scale that funding is not available. Um, but of course, the, the digital opportunities do mean that we are able to do some activities online even now. And, and most of them are all like free based. We don't get funded for it. We, um, you know, we, it's very much based on young people being very active and making things happen. Thank you. Uh, and finally, I'd just like to know, um, now you're also an alumni of our MA program. So I'd like to know a bit about how you have used your experience in, from our program on in your job? Um, well, I definitely feel after, particularly even starting the course, um, the first term made a massive difference in, in my job role. Um, I, for example, I was designing this reconciliation for development project, but I didn't know how to, I was going to deliver it. Um, and it was only because my first year doing the MA at, at the University of Winchester which really opened up how we were going to get, we we're not only just going to do it, but take it beyond more than we expected. Um, so, for example, I think the, the uh, module in um, practical reconciliation was a massive learning curve for me. And I learned so much from that. And it's something which very much I've used, you know, implemented within our own organization, our own delivery model. Um, it's one thing sitting in a classroom and learning about reconciliation and peace building. It's another thing to actually use the practical tools and see how they can be used. I think that was probably one of the best experiences um, in my reconciliation and peace building journey. Okay, so, so definitely from a, a delivery perspective, it's definitely helped with, I deliver what we hope to do, but also it has helped see beyond that. So for example, um, we hadn't really thought about dialogue very much, although I, I was aware that it was a reconciliation method. I hadn't had no direct experience in it. So I was less, I'm always less likely to agree to do something if I don't know how to do it. It's probably the best thing you could do as an NGO. <laughs> um, but because of the MA, um, we, we have almost finished our first dialogue project and have used methods I've learned from that. And we'll, in 2021, we'll be starting two further dialogue projects. Um, and I think it's definitely something I wouldn't have tried doing um, or a method I wouldn't try incorporating if it wasn't for the MA. This has been really, really interesting. Uh, thank you so much for taking part in our podcast. Oh, thank you.